really, when, you know one of the wonderful things about Elijah? He was a godly man, and yet the Bible is transparent about his life. In James 5, 17, Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he, earned, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And uh, as you think upon this, uh, and this idea here of humans and the humanity of, of Elijah. It's amazing. You know what it encourages me as I read the scriptures to say, hey, you know what, when someone's threatening me, uh, you know what happens oftentimes? A little bit of fear. Or maybe great fear. When things go the way that we don't want it to go, uh, we tend to worry. And you know what, we read about that in the scriptures. I have a tendency to idealize, you know, as we think about these men and women in the Bible that we read about, we tend to put them on a pedestal. Well, they're, they're a biblical character. But they are of the same blood and the same skin as you and I, created in the, in the image of God. They have the same warts and wrinkles as we do. The same worries. Now, obviously, different culture, different times. But they're still human. And that's the wonderful thing about the Word of God. Just turn with me briefly to Psalm 39.5, as I'm just doing the introduction here, as we talk about a man who was a caveman for a short time. And here, we just uh, talked about last week, Elijah, as he was there on Mount Carmel, and I finished up last week with this discussion, but Psalm 39.5, we'll go back to 1 Kings, hold your place there. Uh, Elijah just had an amazing, amazing display of God. I mean, God literally consumed the entire altar. I mean, all the stones he put to dust. He consumed the dust. He consumed the ox. He consumed all the water around that, that trough. And then they killed 450 prophets of Baal. I mean, you would think, hallelujah, man, I'm on the mountaintop. And he was. But he got off that mountaintop, and it was a valley experience. Have you ever had that times in your life, and man, God just does something amazing, and you're just like, Woo! I mean, you're shouting hallelujah. And all of a sudden, all, I mean, as soon as, I mean, it's like, man, you're excited and something hits you and you're just like, whew, I mean, you just hit rock bottom. It's kind of like Elijah here. Psalm 39, verse 5, we read, <clears throat> Behold, thou hast made my days as in handbreadth, and mine age is as nothing before thee. Verily every man at his best state is altogether vanity, Selah. I definitely know the ages is nothing. I just had... Uh, my birthday is last week, and, and uh, you know, <laughs> turning, yeah, that age, and, uh, you know, getting older. And uh, we realize how quick life goes by. And when James writes these words here in James 5, 17, you can look at that real quick as well. I did read that, but I want you to uh, read along with me. And just really ponder these ideas. We will get to 1 Kings 19, I promise you. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. You know what God's saying? He says, listen, in the everyday affairs of your life, the everyday events, we have a government that doesn't do what we want, <laughs> that doesn't do it the way we think it should be done. Uh, we have employers, employees that do things the way we think, hey, that doesn't seem like the most logical way to do it. Uh, we have family. And sometimes it's going directions, and you're thinking, what in the world? 
But Elias was a man subject like as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. Now, one of the things here, yes, Elijah had fears, yes, he had anxieties, but Elijah had a solid relationship with the Lord. And there's an old adage that it says the best of men are but men at their best. And Elijah's history, as we find in the, recorded in the scriptures, proves that. John Bunyan calls a slew, as he, there in the book, The Pilgrim's Progress. How many of you have ever read The Pilgrim's Progress? Or ever listened to it in an audio book, right? There's also, if you go to, I think, uh, uh, there is an animated version of it, I, <clears throat> of it and, and uh, obviously it doesn't go into all the details, but uh, John Bunyan, The Slew of Despond. You ever been to that place of despondency? I mean, you are just feeling like uh, dirt. You feel like you're in a pit and you're sinking and you can't get out. This is exactly what God, this is exactly what we find in Elijah's life. But you want to know something that's amazing? I can be in that slew of despond, and the Bible tells us, look with me at 1 Corinthians excuse me, 1, 27. This is all getting to the point of 1 Kings 19. We will get there, I promise you. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27. I, I love this thing about the word of God. Because our lives are not about ourselves. 1 Corinthians 1, 27. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world. How many of you have ever done something in your life? You're like, man, that was pretty foolish. That wasn't very smart. God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Who would have thought that a whole bunch of fishermen, tax collectors, and, and just... Everyday persons would turn the world upside down. I mean, literally, that's what happened with the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. They turned the world upside down. Fishermen, I mean, these are not your educated individuals. Now, Paul was very educated. God had chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God had chosen the weak things. How many of you ever feel like you're weak? I do. I was this weak, like, Lord, please help me. <laughs> there were some things... Uh, encountering this week, and I said, Lord, I don't know what to do. How do I progress? To confound the things which are mighty. Going on there, and base things of the worst 28, and base things of the world, and things which are despised, hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught the things that are. That no flesh, no flesh, should glory in his presence. God is telling us, I don't care how many good things you do on this life, I don't want you boasting before me. Because when I realize that I'm foolish, when I realize that I'm weak, then I realize that I have uh, worries and fears and discouragements and all this stuff, you know what that does? Shows me how small I am and how much I need him. Because he's the one with the answers. He's the one with the power. I mean, we all struggle in our own unique ways with challenges of life. And we're saying, I don't know how to go forward. How do we progress after the victories God gives us? I mean, there's times. I mean, it was a wonderful weekend last weekend. And then this week, there were some issues, struggles. And what God does with a mountaintop experience is he says, hey, I don't want you to think it's about you. I want you to understand that in the humility, you need to stay humble before me. 
It's all about me, not me personally, God. I need to humble myself before him and say, God, how much I need you. I was just reading this morning in Psalm 102 in my devotions. And David is saying, Lord, I'm nothing. Lord, I'm so weak. Lord, I, I'm, 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 just, I'm discouraged and I'm despairing. And Lord, I don't know what to do. And then he says, Lord, you're the creator. You're forever. You made everything. You know what we need to get back? And understanding, as Elijah does, understanding who God is as the creator. He's the authority that I am accountable to. That's where everything starts. I mean, if you were to talk about Elijah's life, and he was to sit down with a counselor, they would say, Elijah, you're burned out in ministry. I mean, you're just burned out. You're physically exhausted. You lose your appetite. You're depressed. Your work is out of control. I mean, and then he gets to this place of self-pity. Woe is me. I'm the only one left that's righteous. And what does he do? He does what many of us do. Instead of turning to others for help. How many of us isolate ourselves when bad times come? I don't want to talk to anyone. I don't want to, I don't want to, I can't let anyone close to me because my heart is hurt. I can't let you in. It's exactly what Elijah does. Don't let me, nope, you're not, this is my bubble. Don't you dare come inside my bubble, inside my walls of my hurt, inside the walls of my self-pity. Worst of all, he says, let me die. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11. came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire, and horses of fire, and part of them both the sun and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. This is the same prophet that God would take to him with him to heaven. How many of you ever say, God, I'd sure like to see heaven right now. I'm done with this world. I'm done with my bosses. I'm done with certain things in my life. I just want to see heaven. Look with me at 1 Kings 19, 1. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them, by tomorrow about this time, and when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. He just saw God consume rocks, flesh, water, and then 450 prophets of Baal were killed. What makes him think that one queen who's searching for his life that God couldn't deal with? We have mountaintop experiences, and then something happens in our lives, and we're like, I quit. I'm done. I'm out of here. I'm, I failed. I'm a miserable failure. I'm out of here. And I'm quitting. I'm throwing in the towel. How many of us ever have our moods going, <laughs> right? We feel impulsive, impetuous prayers. We pity ourselves. 
And I want you to look at me in the encouragement in Psalm 103. This is still my introduction. Isn't God's word amazing? Psalm 103, 13. Have you ever done something in your life and you're thinking, man, <laughs> I've royal messed up? You're in for a good message in the morning service. We'll deal with shame. Psalm 103, 13. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. Here's a father. He looks down. He said, there's Chris. Chris is throwing a pity party. Chris feels like quitting. I think I need to encourage him. There were some several things this week that I was toying with and, and some individuals talking to earlier in the week. And I said, Lord, I don't know where to go from here. I called and spoke with my brother Cook. And it wasn't anything with the church, but I was outside and some individuals that we know. And I said, I need wisdom, Lord. I, I don't know what to do, Lord. And I threw a little pity party. You know what? I said, Lord, I really do need some encouragement. And sure enough, I got an email, I got a text from some individual. I even, yesterday I was studying, it was amazing. I had an individual that when I was in university, he was one of my friends when I was in engineering, and uh, he'd come to my graduation party from engineering, and he texted me out of the blue, happy birthday. I said, well, it's not my birthday. It was a few days ago, but I said, you know, thanks. And though he and I chatted for a little bit, and and uh, he's an engineer back in Washington State, and, and uh, it was really good. I, I hadn't talked to him since pff, 2005. <laughs> Out of the blue, he texts me. My father pitied me. He knows where I'm at. He knows where you're at. He knows the care. In the chapter we're going to read here in 1 Kings 19, that God deals with us, how God deals with us when they're in the depths of despair and we want to give up. I can tell you there's many a times I've wanted to give up. Talk to my wife. I want to run away and I don't want to talk to anyone. I want to get in my little cave, get in my little far off cabin out in the middle of nowhere where you don't have to deal with people and be done with it all. Right? Just live your life. That's exactly how this chapter begins. Elijah's running away trying to save himself. Then he argues with God trying to defend his action. God, I'm just, uh, uh, I'm an introvert. God, I'm this, I'm that. I, God, I, I, I can't stand people. Lord, what is it you've done? I'm the only righteous one left. I'm trying to do right and everyone else is trying to do wrong. You ever had that pity party? In all of this, Elijah responds to four different messages. The first message that we have is a message of danger. <laughs> and uh, there is shortly after that, uh, verse 4, let's read this. But he himself, 1 Kings 19, went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and requested for himself that he might die and said, it is enough now, O Lord, excuse me, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. 
I mean, here Jezebel potentially thinks that the storm gods have given rain because shortly after the 450 prophets of Baal, the three and a half years came and then, you know, Elijah prays and God returns the rain because he realizes the, the deplorable state that Israel's in. Ahab is such a weak man. I mean, Ahab is the epitome of a weak man. I mean, he won't stand up to his wife. He won't stand up to truth. Ahab is just like, yeah, whatever sounds good. I mean, he's a people pleaser. Ahab is a weak man. And Ahab should have stood with Elijah against his wife and said, God did a work. God demonstrated his power. Jezebel, you're wrong. Ahab found no... I mean, you know what? God's calling us to be men and women of God, standing for truth irrespective of what family and friends may do. Ahab had to live with his wife. He had to live for her support. And and presumably, I mean, she was a very forceful figure. She dominated that home. I mean, if there was ever a strong-willed ruler, it was Jezebel. We don't find a lot of children and people named Jezebel. There might be a few, but I don't find that quite... uh, Everyone's saying, hey, I want to be called Jezebel. There might be a few. Ahab, how can we stand in the face of God working and yet continue to live in our idolatry, as Ahab and Jezebel did. And Jezebel says, I saw God work, and I declare war on you. I hate God, and I'm going to make you pay. You made me look foolish, I'm coming for you. Jezebel sends a letter to Elijah. You're mine. How many of you, what would you do if you have a queen saying, you're mine, I'm going de- to destroy you. I'm going to make you pay. I hate the God of Israel. I will get you. <laughs> you're thinking, God, where were you? Where are you? Oh, I'm a dead man. Dead man walking. Right? I mean, everywhere posted in the city, right? Wanted. Dead or alive, Elijah. (laughs) I mean, Jezebel, she's not only evil. I mean, she is a wonderful strategist. She knows how to take this defeat. She's, I mean, she's not a quitter. I will win at all cost. I will get my point at all cost. Can you imagine Elijah? I mean, Elijah is now a popular man. Did you see what Elijah did? I mean, he prayed to God and... (laughs) you know a funny thought just came to my mind you know if someone you know sometimes you see these mad scientists and something comes and it like blows up and then their hair's like you know i wonder if that's what happened i don't know you know just this uh, face anyways a little imagination maybe anyways but so now jezebel tries to transform uh, this prophet and a martyr. But if, she, but if he, she kills him as a martyr, then there are people are really going to turn against her. So she's got to figure out, how do I get Elijah out of here uh, in a way so that the people don't turn against me? 
The people are waiting for Elijah to tell them to what to do. I mean, they're thinking, Elijah knows something that we don't know. Elijah has a connection with God we don't know. You know what this, when God begins to work in your life, guaranteed it, write it down, something is going to happen to try to discourage you from moving forward for the Lord. There's going to be opposition. You're doing something, man, you're making strides for the Lord, and man, it's just like, whoo, God's good. And all of a sudden, something comes in the mail, something happens, and it just sideswipes you. And you're thinking, what in the world? The rains have returned, and Jezebel says, I've got work to do. Maybe she realized how tired Elijah was. Many years ago, people of the faith would say, beware of human reactions after holy exertions. The letter. All it was was a letter. A letter got Elijah to fear. The word of a woman caused Elijah to run. Remember the story of Hezekiah? Was it not the words of Sennacherib given by the messenger Rabshakeh? He said, just, Hezekiah, just turn over. Your God won't help you. Hezekiah went to prayer. Elijah goes to fleeing. In a moment of fear, he ran. Charles Spurgeon said that Elijah retreated before a beaten enemy. You know, that's an amazing thought. The God of Baal could not protect those 450 prophets. 450 prophets were slain. How good was that God? Baal couldn't even cause fire from heaven. Baal, would, I mean, these prophets, they're cutting themselves, they're dancing around, they're doing all sorts of antics. I mean, you talk about they're doing anything and everything, and then Elijah's mocking them, and they're still doing their foolishness. And finally, Elijah says, hey, can I step in here? Elijah steps in, and poof, God shows himself mighty. They're defeated, and he runs. 1 Kings 18, 30, let's look at these couple things here. I want you to just think about this in your mind. We as Christians so often run from a defeated enemy. They're already defeated. 1 Kings 18, we think in our mind that they're not, that they have the power, but in God's economy, they're already defeated. They've already lost. 1 Kings 18, 36, And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and thou hast turned their heart back again. Verse 46. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. So, I mean, God does something amazing here, you know, and, uh, and then God's hand had been upon him. Now, I want you to look with me, Psalm 16. <clears throat> Verse 
Psalm 16, 7. Psalm 16, 7 and 8. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night season. I have set the Lord always before me. Why? Because he's at my right hand. Okay, so what? I shall not be moved. We walk by faith, not by sight. Every step of our life that will be pleasing in God's sight is walking by faith. And here is Elijah taking steps by sight, not by faith. He moved without hearing and obeying God's instructions. 1 Kings 17, the word of the Lord came unto him. 1 Kings 17, 8 and 9, and the word of the Lord came unto him. Right? Get the, rise, get thee to Zarephath. 1 Kings 18, it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying. So, I mean, God told him to go to the brook, Cherith, to get the ravens to feed him. He told him to go to Zarephath to have the widow woman feed him. Uh, he tells him, you know, to pray for the rain to return, you know, for the rain to go away. He does that. And God works. When God's servants get out of God's will, you know what we do? We do a lot of foolish things. Have you ever had something in your life and you knew, you knew God wanted you to do something? You said, Lord, I can't do it. Can I tell you, when I was in the military, I knew God was calling me out of the military to go in the ministry. I knew he was. And I said, Lord, I'm making good money. I have an influence. I can give good money at church. I said, Lord, I'm doing well. And by the way, I don't want to go to seminary. I don't want to go to the Bible college. I don't want to have to to go through all their strict rules. I don't, you know, I can just stay where I'm at. And you know, the longer I persisted in my opposition of God, life didn't get any easier. It got a whole lot harder. Abraham fled to Egypt. What happened? (laughs) He ended up picking up Hagar. What happened with Hagar? He and Sarah lacked faith. They had Ishmael. Did that cause any problems? David's great strength and his integrity. But yet he failed with Bathsheba. Moses was the meekest of men, and yet he got angry at the people. Must I fetch you water? Well, bam! God said, you're done. You'll never enter the promised land. Peter was a courageous man, yet he denied the Lord three times. Every one of us are susceptible to letting our courage fail for God. That's the wonderful thing about God's word. It's transparent. Every one of us are weak. Why do we flee to, you know, why flee to Judah? Especially when Jehoram, king of, Ahab, king of Judah, was married to Ahab's daughter, Athaliah. I mean, he, he, he goes to the very place nearby, Ahab's daughter. This is the Athaliah that would murder all of the king's seed, but one, Josiah. What is the safest place What is the safest place for a Christian to be? I was talking with someone this week, and and they're one of these preppers, and and they're all like, I got to do this, and oh, the government's doing this. I said, listen. I said, listen. I said, it doesn't matter how much you prep, 
doesn't matter how much you do, if you don't have God's protection on you, it doesn't matter squat. I mean, it's not going to have any effect on you. I don't care. I mean, you could have the biggest armored tank in the biggest bunker you want to be. And if God's against you, just like what happened to Babylon, the king can come in through a tiny hole and you will be defeated. So why in the world would we want to be anywhere other than in the center of God's will? Elijah travels 90 to 100 miles to Beersheba and left, he left his servant there. Did he say, stay here until I return? Or did he set the man free for his own safety? The enemy came after Elijah. His servant would be safer somewhere else. Hey, you go here, I'm going to go here. We'll both be individual. Then if they kill one of us, they can't get the other one. Right? How many of us come up with all these plans? If this happens, I'm going to do this. If this happens, I'm going to do this. Where in your planning did you ever settle that that was God's will for you? That you knew that's what God wanted you to do. If the servant didn't know where Elijah was, then how in the world can that servant, if, if Elijah's hurt or something happens, how can that servant help Elijah? They can't. Our plans laid out in our own mind, in our own plans against God's will because of fear. Fear causes us to try to figure out to be the destiny, uh, to be the master of our own destiny. I mean, Beersheba was a special place because it's, you know, the association with Abraham. The juniper tree is actually a flowering shrub, the flowering broom tree, they call it flourishes in the wilderness. And uh, the roots of the plant are used for fuel, make excellent charcoal, Psalm 120. Elijah sits under here. And verse 4, 1 Kings 19, O Lord, take away my life. God, can I just go to heaven? Lord, this world, it's a mess. There's no one left. It's just me. God, I'm no better than my fathers. You know what? God never asks us to be better than anyone else. For I'm no better than my fathers, he says. God never asks us to be better. He asks us simply to keep our eyes upon him. He says, just obey my word. How many of you ever had emotional burnout? Weariness? Hunger? Deep sense of failure, man, I am the worst, of, I'm, I'm a loser. I've been there, I don't know if you have, but I have, I'll be transparent with you. And you go into a deep depression. And in this place of self-pity, Elijah turns away from God, he turns to himself, he turns to a place of pride. I mean, Mount Carmel was a place I mean, it showed that idolatry has no power over the God of heaven. Maybe Ahab was thinking, finally, Lord, you've shown yourself mighty on my behalf. Finally, Ahab and Jezebel, man, they're just going to be like, boom! 
prostrate on the floor. Well, they didn't do that. And the unmet expectations, should he have had that? Oh, Lord, I'm a failure. The Lord rarely allows us ever to see all the good that we've done for him. Because if I see all the good that I've done for him, then I look at myself and I don't look at him. I walk by faith, not by sight. Look at verse 5. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold then, an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake, bacon, on the coals, and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink, and laid him down again. And the angel Lord came again the second time, and touched him, and said, Arise and eat. Because the journey is too great for thee. And he rose and did eat and drunk, drink. And went, into, went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights into Horeb, the mount of God. And he came thither into a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. Behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. And it was so, when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle, went out and stood in the entering in of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Haziel to be king of Syria, over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, and Abel Baholah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. It shall come to pass... Him that escapeth the sword of Haziel shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet have I left me just you, Elijah, in Israel. What does God say? Yet have I left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not, bailed, not bowed into Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. Elijah's ministry had affected many people. Your life affects many, many people. And sometimes the only thing I can see is the microscope of the problems in my life. And I miss everything else here. Because the only thing I can see is a little microscope of the problem I'm currently going through. I would say I'm a pretty good Elijah. <laughs> I think we all could say, you know what, I, 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 I can relate pretty well with Elijah. And here, in the burnout of, of ministry, sometimes the best thing to do is just sleep, take a nap. Referring to Mark 6.31, the preacher Vance Havner used to say that if we didn't come apart and rest, we'd come apart. <laughs> and Elijah was about ready to come apart. He was tired. I mean, he just went through a tremendous victory for the Lord. And, and when you're doing things for the Lord, I mean, it's exciting. But when you're serving the Lord, there's times 
you're just exhausted. Because there's a spiritual warfare that's being fought. And so in this place of running from God, running from danger, God now has a place to relax and restore Elijah to continue his ministry. I'll have to continue that next week for the sake of time this morning, but how encouraging that God says to Elijah, you're not alone. I've got a remnant of people that still long to follow me. Elijah, that victory, that wasn't your victory, that was mine. I did the work, Elijah. Elijah, I'm still going to protect you. I'm still God. You know, it's a wonderful thing, as it said, God didn't speak in the earthquake, didn't speak in the fire, didn't speak in the wind, but he spoke in a still, small voice. You see, if we as believers, I'm just going to draw it to a close, if we as believers don't learn what it is in our lives to get alone with God every morning and learn to get the words of life from this book, your life's going to be very difficult. You're going to be very confused. Can I tell you, for so many years in my life, I didn't know what it was like to have a personal relationship with God. I'd heard, read your Bible, pray, go to church. Woohoo! Yippee! It doesn't do any good. But I didn't know what it was like to make this book the very foundation of my life. What is it like when I read this book and the Spirit of God speaks to my spirit about the very thing I'm struggling with day in and day out? That's amazing. That's only God. How can I pastor a church? I can't. I was praying this week. I said, Lord, I need a message for your people. Man, was it ever a hard message. You know, get in the morning hour. I struggled. I was like, Lord, what in the world? I had to finally just come apart. And God brought it together. You know what? God allows sometimes the hardships in your life because he's saying, son, daughter, I just want some time with you. I want some time with you every morning. Every time you wake up, I want that precious time with you. I bought you. I love you. Won't you know me? May that be the prayer of our heart. Maybe this year. Lord, help me just to know you. And you know what? There's a sweetness. When this book becomes more than just academics, this book becomes a literal love letter from the Creator. This book is not just some rules of do's and don'ts and thou shalt and thou shalt not. It's a book of a father to his child. I guarantee it'll change you. If you don't know how to meditate on God's word, it'll change you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you. Father, I thank you. I thank you for uh, the grace from your, your word.
Father, I want to thank you for the preserved word of God that, Lord, each and every one of us, as we all struggle in our own unique ways, Father, I am thankful that we have the word of God in our language preserved. Father, I'm thankful for the witness of those so many years ago that reached out to my family, my parents. And Lord, I heard truth from your word. Father, I know this is a Sunday school hour, and Lord, I just pray that each and every one of us Lord, maybe there's some this morning that are despairing and discouraged, and Lord, they need some encouragement. And Lord, may they know there's 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee. Lord, there are still believers that want to do right. There are still believers that believe that God is able, that God is in control. And so, Lord, I commit this morning, this day to Thee. May You be glorified. Father, help us to live in light of the power and the majesty and the love of our precious Savior. I love you, Jesus. In your precious name, I pray. Amen. We'll see you here at the left.